Hearing from Devin. Devin Accardi will be teaching this morning. Devin, he serves as our associate pastor of adult ministries. He can explain to you what that means and what that entails because it's a lot. Uh, but he helps think through, uh, one of his roles is to help think through the aspect of spiritual formation. So he comes alongside Stacy and RD and some of the team and helps think through discipleship and fellowship. And so we're really, really excited for him to come up and, and lead us. Uh, before working here, he worked with Young Life for how many? 16 years? For a long time uh, around the area. So uh, give it up for Devin. He's going to come up and lead this time for us a little bit. Thanks for standing, too. Thank you for standing. You can stay standing. I'm just kidding. What's up, college life? Um, always good to draw the 930 straw. So I uh, hope you're up and at them. Had plenty of coffee. Hope you lean in with me. Uh, it's a real treat to be here. And as Brian said, I, I work in adult ministries, and I don't really know what my job is. I'm just kidding. Um, I, I have the great privilege of not really leading a specific ministry at Fellowship. I'm not really overseeing college life or young adults or men's or women's, that would be weird, or uh, you know, life groups, anything like that. I, the way I describe it to people, I, I kind of get to be kind of the brick in, the mortar in the brick, uh, just kind of uh, around things. But I'll be honest, you are, are my favorite people. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here this morning, I'm trying to gain your attention or affection. Like, there's something about the life of a college student. Maybe it's just my own experience in college that I just, I love. So I love being with you. It's a real privilege to be with you. There's something about in college, like right now, you, you're just, you're ripe. You're ripe. You, you get to decide who do you want to be in your life. It's such a critical time. And I, and I really do believe that, that there's something about in college where you get to choose, what is my life going to look like? Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about me. My, I, I have decided that my life is, uh, is going to look like me being a runner. Now you're like, what? Yeah, I, I have, I recently I've become a runner. Let me back up. Actually, recently we bought a treadmill. My family and I bought a treadmill and it's a nice one. Okay. Like it's, it's a Peloton treadmill. I'll just put it out there. Okay. Now I know, I know it's bougie. Okay. We, we got it like half off on Facebook marketplace. Okay. We use some Christmas money. Don't judge me. All right. Uh, but this thing is awesome. Like it is sleek. You ever seen a Peloton treadmill? I mean, they do it right. Like it's, it's got this big old screen on it and these, the, the gears are so smooth. It is a fine piece of machinery. Um, now my wife is a, a, she's a runner. She's done some half marathons. Her dad is like this hall of fame cross country coach in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, it is in her blood. And historically what's been in my blood is fast food and soda. That's kind of what's been in my blood. Thank you. Amen. Uh, in my blood. So I, I do, I have this like great desire to exercise. I don't know if y'all are with me. I have a great desire to exercise. I really do. It's just never really panned out for me. Okay. But this time it feels different. Knock on wood. Cause I bought a Peloton treadmill. And I mean, uh, if you know anything about me, you know that I can go on a, on a deep dive like total rabbit hole, like 4 a.m. YouTube rabbit hole. Anybody with me on that? Um, so on this Peloton, they have this program called Learn to Run. And I'm like, that's me. I got to learn how to run. And the thing is, it's like this eight-week program that at the end, the guarantee is you'll be able to run for 30 minutes. Now, I know some of you just committed the sin of judgment right there because you're like, 30 minutes? Like, most of you could probably go out and run for an hour. I don't know. But for me, I'm aiming for 30 minutes without stopping. Uh, now, that's fine. Uh, I, I'm learning to run. So Aaron and I, we have decided to, to sign up for a 5K, and it's actually tomorrow. 
and I actually won't be able to do it because of this trellis nights thing. So we're like, okay, we can't do it. Maybe we'll do another one. But anyway, I, I've just gone down the rabbit hole. Uh, I mean, I've learned so many things in, in this learn to run program, like talking about cadence. Did you know that the perfect amount of steps per minute when you run is 180 steps per minute? I, I didn't, I do now because I'm a runner, right? I'm learning about like brake force. Like you don't wanna put your leg way too far out because it actually creates brake force and it slows you down. Didn't know that. I'm learning about pronation, right? I'm learning about, uh, you know, you're supposed to run different paces for different distances. Didn't, yeah, I didn't know that. That's not, that's not been in my wheelhouse, but it is now because I'm a runner. Um, and I've learned so much. I've kind of immersed myself in this culture of running to the point that on my Instagram, like the algorithm, it's like shown a lot of runner things. I'm like, that's me. I'm a runner, right? And here's the problem. Uh, I see a lot of posts about running. I've kind of immersed myself in this conversation about running. I talk to people about running now. The problem is I don't really know if I'm actually a runner yet because I haven't actually ran I don't really know if all these things that I'm hearing about and conversating about, if they're really quite true for me yet because I've actually just not ran. I mean, I've run the treadmill a couple of times, but there's something different about lacing your shoes up and going outside and actually doing the act of propelling your body forward on concrete. And this weekend, you know, we're talking about formation and I like that Brian and Abby have titled this weekend Out of Wandering because it's two things. Well, number one, it's the truth. It tells us the truth, that, that we were actually born a people that are, are wandering. And it's an invitation, right? Do, do you wanna stop wandering? Do you wanna develop actual things in your life that grow you more deeply into the person of Christ? That, that actually is the Christian life. It's a big word we call sanctification. This lifelong leaning towards becoming more like our savior. And you and I know, really from experience at this point, that that doesn't just happen, does it? And maybe you're here this weekend for the forum conference and you are like, yes, amen to all of this. Like RD spoke last night, this invitation to move out of apathy into hunger. Maybe you're like, yes, I'm hungry. And Brian ended our time last night with that question that Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And maybe your answer is, I'm in. Like a hunger, I'm in. A hunger for being formed more deeply is awesome. And that's where you must start. Uh, but it is, being, it is different than actually being formed. Me saying I'm a runner is different than me just actually running. So how do you do this? How, like, like practically speaking, right? I wanna get very practical this morning with you. How do you do this? What do you actually do? So many great questions last night that you asked RD and Stacy and Brian, they touched on some of this. And so I just wanna take that baton and keep running with it this morning. And I'm gonna try my best to kind of put the, the cookie jar on the lower shelf, okay? Kind of make it simple. Uh, so this morning, if you find yourself hungry, uh, you might begin to actually find yourself moving from interest to actuality, Okay, and I'm, I'm gonna be in Matthew 17. If you've got a Bible or device, we'll launch out of there. Matthew 17, maybe a familiar gospel passage. It's the transfiguration, Matthew 17. It starts by saying this. And after six days, we'll stop right there. <laughs> Pretty quick stop, I know. After six days, six days of what? Like, what, give me some context. Six days of what? Uh, the passage before this is actually, if you look up in your Bible or your device, it's where Jesus actually begins to predict his death. 
It's where he begins to say things like, I'm going to die. They're going to crucify me. It's, remember this, it's where Peter pulls him aside and like, hey, Lord, we shouldn't be, you know, say, and Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Whew, what a moment. It's where Jesus says, hey, if you're gonna follow me, if anybody's gonna follow me, they gotta deny themselves. They gotta pick up their cross and they fight to follow me. He says, what good is it if a man gains the whole world and forfeits its soul? It's kind of this mic drop moment. And I don't know if Matthew just decides to fast forward six days or if it really was kind of this six day of awkward tension between Jesus and the disciples. But here we are six days later. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Other gospel passages say it was almost like more whiter than anyone could ever bleach them. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. This is wild stuff. Like not your everyday occurrence. I mean, if we didn't know it was true, it would feel like it was something out of a sci-fi movie, right? Talk about beholding. We used that word last night beholding the glory of God. Peter, James, and John, here they are. They are beholding God, Jesus, in his full glory. And Peter, in trademark fashion, says to Jesus, I can almost imagine him just kind of like tapping on the shoulder, Lord, it's good that we're here. Uh, He says, if you wish, I will make three tents here. Not sure out of what. Like, I don't know if he was just gonna like, undo a garment and make, I don't know. But anyway, he's, he's proposing things in, in classic Peter fashion. I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And something stirs so obvious in the heart of Peter that it's undeniable. God's glory manifested in such a powerful, private, personal way. I mean, what more could you ask for? I talk about a great launching point to be deeply formed. This is it. I can't imagine a more palpable place to get started. But as you might know, uh, that's, and we'll see in a second, that really wasn't the point of this moment. But for us, I think, as we think about beginning to grow into the likeness of Jesus, maybe, maybe we want it. I hope you do. I hope you're here because you want to grow more into the likeness of Christ. Where do we start? Well, I think there's a few places that we might be tempted to start. Maybe a few places that Peter was also tempted to start. Maybe you would be tempted if you're like, I'm in, I want, I'm hungry, I wanna grow, I wanna be formed. You might be tempted to start with information. There's some great podcasts out there right now about spiritual formation. There are thousands of books about spiritual formation. Maybe just good conversations to get yourself into. Maybe that's kind of your temptation. If I can just kind of get some information about this, maybe that will be a great starting point to be more deeply formed. I think that's why Peter wanted to stay. I mean, just to overhear the conversations between Jesus and Moses and Elijah, all great things, right? Podcasts, great resources, sermons, great resources, books, incredible conversations, have them. But it's just, it's just information, It's not transformation. Maybe you'd be tempted to start there. Maybe you'd be tempted to start with this one. How about modeling others? You know, I want to find somebody that that I can tell they're becoming more like Christ. Maybe I'll just kind of do what they do. And it's hard not to have a picture in your mind of maybe what a person would look like if they're deeply connected to Jesus and try to emulate that. Maybe that's why Peter offered to stay. 
I just to kind of think about following in the footsteps and modeling the life of these great men. Not, not a bad idea. Certainly that would jumpstart something. And I don't think it's wrong to have people in your life. We talked about it last night. Find a mentor. Find an older person in your life that you're like, that's, that's where I'm heading. That's where I want to emulate their faith. In fact, the, 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 the scriptures are very clear. Hebrews 11 gives us this menu of people whose faith, it would be worth our while to emulate. So go get a mentor, find people that are ahead of you in this journey. But know this, mimicking somebody else is just an exterior thing. It doesn't get to the heart of formation. All great things and necessary. I don't know if it's your launching point. Information's great. Modeling others is great. How about this one? I think we would be tempted to start maybe in specific environments. I mean, we're literally at a, a, a formed conference, right? You come to a church that talks a lot about spiritual formation. You're in a ministry. Maybe you're in a Bible study. Maybe you're in a great small group. Again, all great things. And to be deeply formed, you need those things. You need to be around people who are pointing you towards Jesus. And so again, I can't really blame Peter for wanting to stick around. What an environment to be in, right? Great view, like high on the mountaintop, you know, kind of a bird's eye view. A great company, Moses, Jesus, Elijah, his boys, away from all the nagging and the hungry people that are down below. But attending the right things, attending this, attending the small group, they're not gonna do the full work of what you want if you're really hungry to be made into his image. Information's great. Finding someone to emulate is, is important. Putting yourself in the right environment is vital. I don't know if it's the starting point for us to be actually deeply formed. So what is it? If we really wanna move out of wandering into a real tangible experience of God growing us deeply into his likeness, where do we start? I'm gonna give it away right now. I'm gonna tell you. Right now, this morning, I'm gonna tell you the secret. Actually, Paul is gonna tell you the secret. And it's what he told the Colossians in the first chapter of Colossians. Colossians 1.27, this is actually the J.B. Phillips translation. Probably not many of y'all spend much time there. He says this, and the secret is simply this, colon. Ready? Leaning forward. Christ in you. Yes, Christ in you. Bringing with him the hope of all glorious things to come. The secret is this. Christ in you. If you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. His living spirit has, been, has made his home inside your heart. And you have access to not only his power, but his presence. That's a very churchy term, right? But think about that. Think of the words I just said. Not just his power, but the presence of Jesus. You have access to that. Christ in you, on the mountain, of transfiguration. The whole point wasn't the information the disciples could get or the lives they could model or the environment they could put themselves. Why was it powerful? We read on. Let's look at Matthew 17, verse five. It says, he, Peter, was still speaking, still talking about tense, right? He's still speaking. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. <laughs> when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus 
came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Wow. <laughs> the whole point of the mountain, this, this supernatural light show, the appearance of Moses and Elijah, it wasn't just to dazzle these men into discipleship. It was actually so they could hear the voice. The same voice that because of Christ in you, the Holy Spirit in you, that you and I can hear too if we would listen to it. So how does the whole journey of formation begin? How do we move out of wandering into a people that are deeply formed in Jesus? Not in information or imitating or finding the right environment, not in public, but in private. In our own private worship and pursuit of Jesus. Our private worship, y'all, I think is one of the more delicate things to talk about because it is by definition private. Right? It's so hard to talk about, not only because it's unique and personal, but here's why. I think it's because we're tempted. When I hear somebody talk about their own private personal relationship with Jesus, I'm tempted to kind of hear it and, and make it my perspective. Like this, this is kind of the North Star. This is what you should do. So here's my challenge for us this morning. Uh, I want you to work hard to hear what I'm saying, not as a prescription, but rather as an invitation, an invitation to intimacy, if I had a title for this message, it would be that, an invitation to intimacy. As we talk this morning, that is the word I want you to latch onto. That's the word. That's the word this morning, invitation, all right? Say it with me, invitation? invitation. Oh, you're awake. I love it. Um, spiritual formation is actually simply our response to God's invitation. Scripture is loaded with invitation. We started this morning Abina, synced up to the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 55, right? Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. If you don't have money, come and buy and eat. What a, what a delicious invitation. To what? A feast. With whom? God. Our private worship is where it begins. These acts of feasting with God is what actually grows us. You know, different people call it different things spiritual disciplines, habits. In the Trellis book, we, we just simply call them practices. And maybe this morning you're like, we got this. Like, I, I wanna try to slice it just a little bit. I'm not really talking about like a devotional time. I'm not really talking about uh, a quiet, all those things are great. And, and I'm, we call them practices. And I think if you can, att- I can attest this personally, that if you want a pathway to deeper Christ-likeness, then practicing those practices can actually help take you there. Now, again, our word is not prescription. What's our word this morning? Invitation. Isaiah, he doesn't say get to the water. He says, come to the water. It's a beckoning. So when we think about our private worship, what, what all would that entail? Well, we can talk about obvious ones, right? In the trellis book, if you read it, or you just, as a Christian, you know, like there's, there's reading scripture. We talk about prayer, Talk about fasting, talk about uh, Sabbath. And honestly, we could spend a whole hour exploring each one of these. In fact, that's why we created these trellis nights is so that we could do just that. So come to those if you wanna hear more. I, I don't have time to really unpack all those things, but reading scripture, there's so many ways to do that, right? Not prescriptive, but invitational. Lectio Divina, working your way through a book, working your way through, already said last night, I'm kind of reading Old Testament. There's so many different ways to do these practices, right? So many ways. 
But how do you do these things without becoming prescriptive? How do you actually pursue these out of invitation instead of obligation? I mean, for me, they can easily become pretty flat, like just a routine. I'm sure you've never struggled with this, but sometimes like when I read the Bible, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know. It's just kind of words on a page. I'm sure you've never struggled with this, but sometimes my prayer life, it just feels pretty, pretty routine, pretty out of duty, right? I'm sure you've never struggled with this, but sometimes worship almost feels, feels more uh, performative than intimate. That's just me. I mean, Sabbath sounds pretty good because it kind of is just like taking a nap, you know? I'm sure you've never struggled with those things, but I have. How do we take these spiritual practices and activate them to actually help us become more deeply formed? I, th- I think there is a doorway. I think there's a doorway. I heard a sermon uh, from a guy named John Tyson a few months ago. If you don't know John Tyson, he's this Australian pastor leading a church in the heart of Manhattan. In full confession, he's my pastor crush. Like I, I emulate him. Like I'm like, let's, let's build a tent right here. I'll go to Manhattan, right? So just know that, that I'm coming out of a place of, of that. But anyway, he gave a sermon a few months ago where he was asking some of these same questions. Like how do we grow in Christ's likeness? How do we actually break through the monotony and the routineness of all this? How do we really do this? Like how do we really develop and pursue a private worship? Especially in our age, where everything is public. I mean, y'all, we we live in the most voyeuristic public society in the history of creation. Like I I can tell when your roommate pays you for the utility bill by looking at your Venmo feed. Like you talk about a public life that you live. It's crazy how much you do in public. Our whole life is public facing. And I mean, Bless your hearts, you're probably not even on LinkedIn yet. Wait till you get on LinkedIn and it's a cesspool, okay? Of just like public, I changed jobs. Look at this great article, right? It's it's crazy. How do we develop our private worship in a world that is so public? And here's what John Tyson said in his sermon. Are you ready? He said this, you have to get to the secret place. You have to get to the secret place. And throughout this entire sermon, I'm, I'm like on a car ride and I'm like, Yes, he just kept saying it. How do we know what God wants for us? You gotta get to the secret place. Where do we wrestle with God about our brokenness and our pain? Great question that was asked last night. Where do we wrestle with those things? You do it in the secret place. Where do I tell God the wildest dreams I have in my heart that it would sound crazy Where do I cultivate the faith to ask him for more in my life? You do it in the secret place. In the secret place, I know it's a funny term. It's just this ancient term that simply describes that that intimate place inside your soul where God's living spirit dwells. It's where the same voice that Peter, James, and John heard say, this is my son whom I love. It's the secret place where God still whispers today. And we have to, we have to figure out how to get there if we really want to move out of routine and into intimacy. We have to. Again, we see the invitation all throughout scripture. Matthew 6, Jesus says it himself, when, we, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. 
and your father who sees in secret will award you. Psalm 1611 says this, you made known to me the path of life. You, fi- you will fill me with joy in your presence. He's not talking about like from a distance, like in, your pre- in the secret place with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Anytime that we're talking about that, especially in the Psalms of running and hiding and fortressing and refuging and and resting and and stealing away, what they're talking, that's what we're talking about, is the secret place. Going to that place of intimacy in your heart where God's voice actually is there and alive through his Holy Spirit. Jesus was all about the secret place. It's where he communed with his father. You know, he, he didn't pray in anguish to the point of sweating blood in the temple courts in public. He didn't Instagram live that moment where he was like sweating blood. You know where he did it? In private, in quiet, in secret, in a garden. He did it alone. Even in the middle of some of his busiest seasons, he retreated in Luke 5, we see, it says this, yet the news about him spread all the more, like, Jesus' name and fame is trending up and to the right so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. The masses are coming. In, in verse 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If you want to be formed to the image of Christ, you've got to things that Christ did. And what did Christ do? He went to the secret place. When it got hectic, where did he go? The secret place. How often did he go? I don't know. It just says, he went often. He went often. So if you're looking to know like, how, do I do this every day, twice a day, three times a day? I don't know. Do it often. It's an invitation. It's a beckoning. So if you're ready not to not just consider your own spiritual formation, but actually begin to practice it, I think it begins by getting to that, the secret place. So how do you get there? Okay. What's our word for the morning? Thank you. Invitation. Um, I want, to, I want to tell you a couple things that have helped me throughout my life. This is not prescriptive. This is invitational. It's inviting you into intimacy. Some of this, I think, is just universal. Some of it's going to be personal, right? Because um, like I said, it's so, it's so unique to one person or the other. Uh, but I would say two things. Number one, you, you got to make a space. You, you got to carve out time in your day and your week to go there. You got to find a rhythm. When you think about the word routine in your spiritual life, I just want you to put a big red X over it. I just want you to write rhythm instead. For some reason, that's just giving me a freedom. It's unlocked a freedom in me to think more about a rhythm and not a routine. And you know what? It's okay if it costs you something. You heard RD and Stacey say last night, you know, we, just, we get up early. And maybe in your season of life, you don't have to. I remember when I was in college, the richest time of intimacy with Jesus was three o'clock in the afternoon after class on my screened in porch before my roommates got home. That's changed now. Whew, I got five kids. And in order to go to the secret place, I gotta, I gotta beat them up. I don't mean like physically beat them up. I mean like I have to, I have to get up earlier than them. <laughs> and you know what? Vulnerably speaking, I normally don't. And so I found this little pocket of time after I dropped them off at school before I actually have meetings. That, that's my moment. That's where I try to cultivate that intimacy. So you gotta find a space. When is it best for you? It's actually a bad question. When is it best for you? It might not be best for you. It might actually be a sacrifice. It might actually cost you a lot. 
You might actually have to just get your butt up early and do it. So you gotta find a space. And just for me, I, I, I've had to find a place. I, I think that uh, Jesus modeled this. Now, I mean, that's, that's a bold statement, right? Because Jesus was with the Father at all times. But Jesus had some places. They, they had some places that he went. The, the Gethsemane was not just some one outlier. There was a, it was a common place that they would go and they would be together, right? I, I, need, I need a place for me. I need to find a place. Maybe that's a chair. Maybe that's a parking lot. Maybe that's a specific booth at a restaurant or a coffee shop. I don't know. But I think it's been helpful for me to find a place, kind of this holy ground. It, it's a very Eastern thought. But you know, when you think about prayer and the, like a prayer rug, like I've, I've had these ideas in my life. of like, I need a couple prayer rugs throughout the city of Knoxville that I know that I can go to. And that's just, it's just me and him. I can kind of close the door and be right there with him. Space in a place. It's why we chose the practice of silence and solitude to really highlight in the trellis because you gotta be quiet and you gotta be alone. So once you find a space and once you find a place, how do you get there? So I'm there, right? I'm, I'm in a chair, I'm in my spot, I'm in my back porch, whatever it may be. And then, I don't know really what to tell you. I, I really don't know what to tell you. I mean, I can tell you what I do. I just think you go to the secret place. It, it may not matter what I tell you because this is where it becomes so privately holy. Like, like the door of a bedroom, like intimacy happens right there in that moment. I, I will tell you what I do, but again, this is not prescriptive. This is just invitational. But honestly, when I was in college, no one had ever talked to me about this and I had no clue. And so maybe this is helpful. Here's what I do. Okay, this is, this, this is vulnerable, ready? I think I just start by like quieting my thoughts. My head is like a centrifuge, right? Like I just got all these things spinning. Today's, today's to-do list and what was happened yesterday, what's gonna happen today. And I just, need to, I just need to be still. So that centrifuge stops and I feel settled. And then I do this thing. This is gonna sound weird, but just in my own spirit, I try to connect the Christ in me to the eternal Christ. Like sometimes y'all, I literally think of like a plug and I'm like, I just want you in here to like connect with you eternally. For me, that's helpful. Just like a visible, visual thing where I am, I'm connecting intimately with the Holy Spirit. And then I listen for his whisper. Sometimes it helps me just to have like what, what people will call like a breath prayer. Maybe it's a word or a phrase that just kind of in the very silence helps me just kind of have this drumbeat of listening. What do I do with my thoughts? They're gonna come, right? Like what you, what you gonna have for lunch, who you're meeting, what the assignments you have to do, all these things. I just, for me, I just ask God to hold them. Any Harry Potter fans? You know, like that whole thing where like they take the memories and they put them in the pensive. It's, it's like what I think about. Just like, God, will you just hold that for a minute? Just hold it. Just put it on a shelf in my heart. Sometimes in seasons, it's been helpful to actually just write it down. I got that math test, math test. Just hold it. That conversation, conversation, hold it. Just hold it. Like this is the practical, right? This is just what Devin does. It may not be, I don't want it to be prescriptive. I want it to be invitational. And then what happens? <sighs> Couldn't tell you. You wouldn't understand. 
I don't know. There's just something about swimming around with him in intimacy and love. Sometimes I, I hold an image of him and me in my heart. Sometimes it does then lead into a prayer. Sometimes it leads into scripture. Sometimes it leads into singing worship. I don't know. And again, I'm not necessarily talking about a quiet time or a devotional. Sometimes those two things end up being attached. Sometimes when I go to that place and I intimately and I hear the voice of Christ, it is the beginning of what I would call my quiet time. Sometimes it's not. What are you gonna feel? So maybe, maybe you wanna begin to practice this. I mean, maybe you wanna do what I do. You can do it something, something different. I, what are you gonna feel? Probably not much at first. Probably not much. If you've never done this, probably not much. But the spirit of the living God is not a feeling. He's a person. He's a presence. He's real. Might be sleepy, especially if you do it early. Might be sleepy. That's okay. I cannot think of a more holy nap than to fall asleep in the secret place. You might begin to wonder, like, wait a minute, is that, is that the whisper of God's actual spirit or is that just my inner monologue? <laughs> I don't know. But I think over time, something's gonna happen. Stacy said it last night, my sheep know my voice. If you are around your shepherd, you're just gonna begin to know his voice. You'll know his voice. You're gonna begin to recognize the subtle promptings and the placements of thoughts as his work and not your own. And it might take some work at first, but I found that by practicing this practice, I can actually, through God's grace, I can actually get there quickly now. Oh, excuse me, a little quicker than I used to be able to. Sometimes I can even do it in public. This morning I was at Chick-fil-A, headphones in, people all around me. And I was just like, I think I'm there. Now it wasn't as, I don't know, it wasn't as quiet or intimate as it would be like at five in the morning in my chair at home. But I was like, I'm there. I'm there, I'm with you. I like what Stacey said last night. We have to learn how to worship fast and deep, but it has to be cultivated. It's not just gonna fall on your head. So why? Why, why, why do this? Like, why not just like have a good Bible reading plan? I mean, you go to a great church, right? Full of great teaching, great worship, information, community. Look at you, look where you are. You're, you're doing the thing that most people aren't doing. Why? Because uh, your intimacy with Christ is how your personal worship grows. In fact, it's the hard truth. I think it's the only way. Now, not just the way I describe for me personally, but I think something similar. And I think once you begin to cultivate this quiet, private, intimate life with Jesus, what happens? A couple things. I think our corporate worship moments like this or on a Sunday morning or another gathering, man, it becomes deeper and more free, not performative because I'm coming out of that place of intimacy, right? My time in scripture, my, my Bible reading plan that is good on its own actually becomes better because the word becomes just fresh wood for the fire. Whew. My prayers, they become powerful. They're, they begin to be born out of a place of intimacy and not just duty, right? I'm not just thanking him for this or that or asking him to keep me free from disease. It's born out of this deep, intimate place where God's voice begins to whisper to my heart all these other spiritual practices that, that we talk about, fasting, Sabbath, 
uh, generosity, hospitality, all those things that are meant to harvest what he's doing in my heart, all those things are launched out of the secret place. There's a life of intimacy that you are being invited into. I have a daughter, her name's Alice, she's 10. And, uh, but at one point in her life, she was five. I got a picture of her right there. This is, this is her, if you can see her right there. That was her when she was five. And man, she loved to go to the pool. Like the Cardis, we're, we're a pool family. Love the beach, we're like, we'll spend all day at the pool, boy, I'm telling you. But to get five kids to pull, it was, a, it was a thing. You know, you're talking about floaties and goggles and sunscreen and everybody got a towel, everybody got the, okay, well, let's go. We're going to the pool, we get in the car. Here we go, we're to the pool. You know, everybody's lathered up. We got snacks, we got the whole nine yards, right? Here we go. And Alice, when she was five, when she was this age, she loved to go to the pool. She loved it more than anything, every day. She just put her bathing suit on and be like, we're going to the pool. <laughs> okay, we're going to the pool. You know, do the whole, the whole thing. It was like, it was like a, a clown show, getting to the pool with us. But we would go, right? And everybody's in. I mean, you know, our oldest kids, our boy, she's the only girl of five kids. So she had four brothers. They'd all dive in, you know. And Alice, she'd get there, right? And she'd just walk around the pool deck. She's like, we're here. We're at the pool. Love it, y'all. We're at the pool. We did it. We're at the pool. And I'm in the water. I'm like, come on, babe, let's go. She's like, I'm good. I'm good. We're at the pool. I'm like, no, come on. We're, we're, come on. Like, this is what we came for, right? Like, get in the water. She's like, I'm good. We're at the, I'm at the pool. She thought being at the pool, it was, I mean, was just like being around the pool, right? And I'd get in the water. I'd be like, babe, come on. I remember some of these moments, especially when she was this age, I would finally be like, no, babe, get, get in the water. And she'd be like, oh, there's water here, you know? And she just thought, we're at the pool. We've made it, right? And I remember her eyes. And she would kind of put these goggles on and, you know, this little gap to smile and she'd put her toes at the edge of the water and she would, and she'd look and I'd be like, come on, come on, jump, get in the water. And she'd be like, ooh, it's deep. I'm like, yeah, it's deep. She's like, is it cold? I'm like, it's kind of cold. She's like, will you catch me? If I jump, will you catch me? I was like, every time. And you could watch her just kind of put her toes on the edge and then finally she'd find it and her desire would, would move into her heart and she would jump and I would catch her and she'd go underwater and she'd squeal like only a five-year-old girl could, right? Alice knows now and you and I know now there is a deep difference in being at the pool and being in the pool. There's a deep difference of me saying I am a runner and actually running, there's a deep difference in you being interested and hungry for spiritual formation and your heart being intimately formed into the likeness of Jesus. Please do not mistake yourself thinking that being around this is the same as actually being in it with him. C.S. Lewis has that great quote in The Weight of Glory. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. He, is, I, I, he might be talking about non-Christians here. I think it also he's talking about us. He's talking about you and me. He's talking about folks that are tempted just to kind of walk on through this life wearing the badge of Christian. 
And I think you and I, me specifically, I am far too easily pleased to just be in name and play the game of being a Christian. What I want is I want intimacy with Jesus. My daughter thought being at the pool was, was being actually around the pool, not in the pool until she jumped and experienced it. And just like Isaiah 55 says, he says, come to the water. Come to the water. Come up to the mountain and be dazzled by God's glory. Come to the secret place and hear his voice. It is for you. It is available to you because Christ is in you. If you want it, come and get it. Find yourself there with him. Let me pray. Lord, I, I remember sitting where these folks sat, not, not physically because I did not have a church like this when I was in college. I did not have a, a body like this, but I, I remember being in the same state of thinking I'm hungry for this. And I remember hearing about these things. I remember, I remember having all these other things in my life. I, I knew what it was like to read the Bible and to worship and to, and to pray. But I remember always hearing other people in my life talk about a deeper intimacy and being like, what, what is that? What is that? And maybe that's where these folks are too, Lord. Maybe all this sounds good and I'm praying right now that you would help them get to the place of intimacy, the secret place, whatever that might look like in their life. Maybe they're wrestling with things in their identity or their future or their calling. They're not gonna find that anywhere else except in you, in the secret place, in the quiet, in the intimacy. Maybe they have people that they are praying for. They're longing for him to know salvation. Where's the best place to bring those names and those faces to you in the quiet, in the secret, in the intimate parts? Maybe there's folks right here right now that are realizing, holy cow, I'm a fraud. I mean, I'm playing the game well and I'm going through the motions, but intimacy, what? I pray that they would hear your voice saying, come to the water, dive in. Maybe there's folks right now that, uh, that know that uh, at some time, because what we have right now might be good. You know, we, we, we go to this church, we're involved in this ministry, we, we like the worship, but at some point that's all gonna change. We're gonna move, we're gonna get a job, we're gonna break up with the girl or guy, we're gonna have tragedy strike, we're gonna be hurt, we're gonna be broken. And in that moment, yes, I do think that, that the places we are and the people we know are gonna help, but you know what's gonna help the most, Lord Jesus, is you and knowing you intimately and deeply. And that only happens in the stillness, in the quiet, in the secret place. I know it feels like our culture is at war. I know it feels like the enemy is trying to, uh, to have strongholds and grapple with things and to claim territory. And it feels like everything, especially right now, to be these folks and their age in college and to be swimming so hard upstream against a culture that is about individualism and expression and freedom and whatever it is, I know that the only place that they're gonna find that is in you. And truth be told, Lord, of all these places that we're in a war of, the, the one thing that the enemy wants, mo the, the biggest war that the enemy wants to fight against us is a war against intimacy. If he can just distract us from being intimate with you, 
from going to the secret place, from being with you in the stillness and the quiet and the secret, then he doesn't have to worry about anything else. That's the only war worth fighting is the war for intimacy. And so I'm praying for these friends as they move and they begin to be hungry that you would take us there, Lord. We love you in the name of Jesus.